This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hi, everybody. I have, I'm so, so super excited. I have a guest that I have known for a really, really, really long time. I know her so long that I actually named my daughter after her. No, I'm just joking, but I do have my a daughter with the same name. This, I, I'm so excited uh, to have Alana Kessler, who's here right now. She's checking in from New York in the Hamptons, where she is isolating safely, right? Yeah, definitely <laughs> safely. Definitely very safely mask on all the time when I'm within distance of collectives of people (laughs) yeah well thank you thank you so so very much for joining me it's a pleasure i'm so happy to be here and connect with you yeah um so nice so so talk about like maybe we could just talk about how we knew each other and what you're doing these days and what has kind of happened We, we we have had i mean we've been in touch Thanks to social media, we haven't really lost too much touch with each other, but uh, how, like, what was that evolution? What are you doing these days? So what am I doing these days? I am, first of all, I feel really lucky to be healthy and to be able to spend time with family. It's been really nice. Um, And what I'm doing with work these days is I am basically facilitating a 360 degree wellness brand that I created over the last three years that was born out of my 20 years of nutrition, mindfulness, yoga, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda studies, practice, and expertise. Um, And I'm excited about it. I love working with people. I work one-on-one in a concierge capacity and I work in groups in a 28 day challenge capacity um, where it's more of a community inspired coaching um, supportive environment where we do challenges together and collect each other's stories and share and build skills and tools for wellness together which is beautiful and lovely and um I'm excited. I feel really lucky that I get to do what I love and um, I get to enjoy people's transformations and journey. And um, I just feel lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. And you launched that today, right? I launched the, I launched the monthly 28 day challenge community today. Yes. So September 14th is the first, uh, the first 28 day month. Um, and it will be something that I do every month, but, uh, the first month starts on September 14th. Awesome. Yes. Well, we'll definitely get this up beforehand. So I'm really excited. Okay. I'm so excited for you. I think that's awesome. I love the idea of just having a close knit community around like-minded wants and needs and desires. And, and I mean, you know, we know each other, we've known each other since basically sleepaway camp when we were young kids. And, yes. you know, just watching and seeing how you've been able to like overcome and you'll talk about that and, you know, 
do things that are literally everybody it's like it's all it's like our, our want to have and you basically it's it's an embodiment of who you are and i think that's amazing so thank you yeah so i guess uh, tell me like how you and i don't know if this is like touches upon the, the second part of that but tell me a little bit about how you got to like this whole sense of like ayurveda mindfulness yoga nutrition what how you evolved from like i don't know girl at sports camp to the alana kessler <laughs> sure. that we know today yeah um so i'd say that that it, i guess it is an evolution but i would say that the mindfulness part is has been something that's always been there for me um i've always been uh even as a even as a kid in summer camp when i was playing sports terribly, but doing a lot of theater, <laughs> musical yeah. theater. Um, I I was always super intuitive and very, and always able to see people. I feel like I was always somebody who people would come to for advice or help with understanding situations and circumstances that might seem like they were overwhelming or confusing. I, I remember very clearly being a camper in summer camp and counselors coming to me with their problems about their boyfriends or conflicts that were going on. And I would always kind of give my advice. I'm not quite sure where it came from. I feel like in a lot of my healing work over the years, I've gotten different, uh, different, reasoning, different reasonings and rationales, but um, I would say that that's always been the case. And I think that it's a double-edged sword being someone who is very emotionally intelligent and also uh, intellectual. Um, you know, you live in your head a lot uh, and you're constantly processing and you're constantly taking in information through your senses, through your brain. And if you don't quite know how to process that through your body, um, you know, it can sometimes become a problem, which is a lot of the crux of what I do now, years later, I realized that that is a root cause of a lot of issues. And for me, um, I I developed, uh, you know, pretty serious and significant um, mental health, uh, you know, mental health challenge, which was um, in the form of an eating disorder. Um, I struggled with um, bulimia for about 15 years. So when I was 16 um, until I was about 30, 31. So for me, that was definitely a huge impetus for my, you know, for my quote unquote healing journey. Um, and again, it started off as something that was an obsession and then became something that um, transformed into what helped me heal and find my way uh, into a more integrated and loving relationship with myself. So um, I started to, so I'd say, you know, I started to practice yoga when I was about 18 years old. So that was almost 22 years ago now. Um, and I also was studying nutrition in college, which ended up being my major and ended up being what I got my degree in. And I ended up becoming a registered dietitian and um, I got a master's as well in clinical nutrition. So I was very enmeshed in the nutrition world. 
um, as well as being enmeshed in the yoga world. And those two were very separate for a period of time. Um, and then they became, they became something that melded together over the years. Um, once I opened up a yoga studio in 2008. So um, I opened up a yoga studio in 2008 and basically started studying Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, different types of yoga. Um, I was already a practitioner of meditation and mindfulness, but I started teaching uh, um, in 2008 as well. So this was really just a slow burn as far as me being as me being someone to offer this type of holistic uh, 360 degree kind of wellness offering for people. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, you're doing stuff that I wish I knew about earlier. <laughs> I guess ultimately at the end of the day, I would have killed to be smart about nutrition. And I, I wasn't, and I never was. And then when I had it's weird. When I, when, I, when I had my first child, I sat in front of the TV and I started watching Top Chef. And I would say that watching Top Chef refined my palate. And then I became a foodie just by watching TV. Mm. <laughs> and never, never turned back, I guess. I don't really know that's the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah, completely the opposite of what you're saying. Which well, I, I mean, yeah. food for me was not my friend for yeah. so many years. You know, it really wasn't. Um, I had such an adversarial relationship to food. Um, it was such a struggle. Um, you know, obviously when I was in the throes of the eating disorder, it was definitely, it was a complicated relationship and it, it is a complicated relationship that we have with food. It's, um, food is something that we're conditioned to, to know as a soothing mechanism. Um, there's so many psychological and emotional uh, undercurrents of what food means to us that we don't quite understand. It also impacts our hormones. It also, you know, impacts our gut health. It's so interrelated to everything and it's so connected also to our psychology and our mental health. So, you know, it took such a long time for me to have a healthier relationship to food. And actually when I left my job as a clinician um, back in 2007, I actually didn't expect to do nutrition at, at all again. Um, I left the job because I knew that it wasn't a healthy motivation for why I was doing nutrition. And so I left, I left the, the clinical job and decided that I was gonna go and be of service in a modality that was helping me to heal, which was yoga which is why I opened the yoga studio instead. Um, and I actually was just managing the studio and teaching for a while. And then I started to study Ayurveda, which started to make food make more sense to me because I started to understand how food is nourishment and not punishment. Um, I started to understand how food relates to me as an individual, um, not this kind of overarching philosophy or trends about how food should be eaten it was more of an under it was more of an understanding of how i needed to eat the food and for someone like me who is um you know analytical and who does like to understand things well in order to feel safe 
um, understanding the why that I was eating this food and how it was going to support me helped me shift my relationship to food and really, um, and really changed my attitude about how I can start doing nutrition again. It really kind of happened organically. Some students at the studio knew that I was a dietitian and started asking me questions about nutrition. And so I really just started counseling them, but then I started counseling them with my Ayurveda as well. So I started to blend my nutrition counseling with the, the Ayurveda, which is the Eastern science of nutrition uh, in the yoga tradition. And that's when I started to feel much more aligned and I started to have a lot more integrity to me to start doing nutrition. And, you know, because I was running the studio, I didn't have much time to offer proper nutrition services. But as the years went on and as the yoga industry changed and as I continued to be a student of all these different modalities, which I continue to put first and foremost in my life. I have a daily two-hour yoga meditation practice, whether it has to be whether it's at 6 a.m. or whether it's at a random time in the day. I always do my practice, and sometimes it's not two hours, sometimes it's less. But um, we have for to the talk most about part, self-care leaders. You got to get to that leader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I I over the you know as the industry changed for yoga, I saw a new opportunity for me now to serve in this new way. Um, where I could be a good linchpin for all these different modalities through one-on-one coaching and, you know, through now what I call, especially because COVID and just the new way the world is at the moment, um, this new integrated studio experience, um, you know, which is kind of this new way of being online. So uh, I'm offering this now in my, in my 28-day com- challenge community. Uh, with nutrition and yoga and meditations and, um, you know, that the live, the feeling of being in a live living, living community like I had at the studio. So it feels really full circle to me, which is really nice. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely the right type of pivot for right now. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of these challenges that I knew about beforehand, but everybody was up in the hustle and bustle of like, moving around and now we're all confined and there aren't many challenges because you know people aren't thinking about it so I think that this is all right this is perfect this is you know start the year right like the when you think about the academic year anyway so good Mm -hmm. you know you could focus on you can get an interesting community because of that as well I think yeah I'm looking forward to it I'm really I'm really excited about it it feels really authentic to how I want to teach and how I want to share and how I want to be creative with wellness. Because ultimately, to me, wellness is a creative endeavor. It really is about our, our consistent and constant change as, as humans, you know, and growth. Um, and yeah, I just, I just love that. I just love the, I love the, the space that there is and the structure. Um, and those are two of my favorite things, space and structure. Awesome. <laughs> so. Cool, cool. So I know you talked about, you know, your kind of that dark period in your life from ages 16 to 31. Do you want to, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I talk about the rise above adversity and you really kind of touched upon it, but at the same time, I don't know if we want to elaborate any further on it or anything okay. that you would want to like say takeaways or like, you know, I, I don't even know the type of question that I would ask 
thick. But is there anything you would potentially want to elaborate on? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that it was a there. There were many dark, dark periods. Um, you know, the thing about an eating disorder, which I think is really interesting for people to, you know, to understand, and I think this is really relevant, um, you know, in general, is that it really is there to try and protect you. And, um, you know, one of the saddest parts about, you know, as I was healing, one of the saddest parts that I realized about the eating disorder was that at some, that there were some points in my life where the eating disorder was really, what was really the most, the my clo- really the most intimate relationship that I had in my life. And so I'd say the darkest, the darkest part was that I wasn't really able to have um, real, really intimate relationships because the eating disorder kind of hijacked a lot of that energy from me. Um, and it happened slowly over time. Um, and so there's so many now looking back, you know, I've been sober, I call it sober, but I've been sober from the behaviors of the eating disorder for about eight years. Um, I don't, I, I still struggle with um, my, you know, some mindsets um, of, of the eating disorder, meaning like I will start to, to notice myself um, you know, starting to, to get a little bit uh, hung up on food or, and when that happens, I know that there's something misaligned uh, within me, but I would say that, you know, there were periods, I would say that my twenties, I don't quite remember well. Um, there was a lot of obsession and just preoccupation with food and with uh, my body image and fear over being judged a lot and just a lot of fear. Um, and I would say that that's the hardest part was that, that this kind of like, an, you know, there's this kind of like an abusive relationship that you have where you think it's going to make you feel good. And then it makes you feel good for like, you know, maybe 20 minutes and then you just feel so, terrible. Um, and you know, because for me, the eating disorder was bulimia. So there was that high of, you know, the, the thinking about the binge, the binge, the buying the food for the binge, and then, you know, the actual like purging. Um, but usually there was a lot of guilt that would come around that transition between the binge and the purging. And you kind of would wish that you didn't have to do this and there would just be this despair. And so I'd say the darkness was really just navigating those highs and lows, and it became really, really challenging. I mean, there were times where I really couldn't do much else other than, um, you know, partake in my binge and purge and just show up for my life, you know, be a functioning. I was like a functional food addict, essentially, and and just kind of and just kind of hide behind my charisma and my ability to connect with people intellectually, which made a lot of people not know that there was anything really, um, there's anything really going on with me, uh, other than the fact that I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't really forge and sustain any kind of intimate relationships. Um, that was something that I couldn't sustain because ultimately when anybody would get too close, um, 
you know, it just wasn't possible because the eating disorder was the most important needed needed its space to be able to live whenever it needed to as a representation and of my, you know, emotions. And, you know, that's something that I had to learn to, um, you know, to, to overcome. And so let me, let me, let me, um, ask you something. And, um, are you, you find that this might be why, and you told me else like a a previous time that you, you know, you're like a codependent, do you feel like that might be, have made that impact? And that's why, you know, how it had affected relationships and is, do you feel like it's, it's affect, like it has that impact that where it causes the codependency? Is that, is that the right, the right way? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I definitely am a, uh, I definitely have a codependent relationship with, you know, I definitely had a codependent relationship with food and that, and, and that kind of compulsion, that kind of impulse, compulsion, impulsion, compulsion paradigm is the paradigm that I then would take into relationships. So I, I didn't really have the ability to be in a neutral state or to let things unfold and see because I didn't trust that. I didn't trust in that process, right? So the process of unfolding, the process of uncertainty, the process of everything that has to do with intimate relationships, um, I could, I needed a resolution fast. So codependency is, is, is really a it's 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 something that happens when you don't know how to meet your own needs and so you want something to immediately meet your needs and a lot of times you don't know what those needs are either you know you just want to be you just want to be like filled you want to be filled up you know right is that then yeah you know i want to tell you so for the listeners here, Alana and I, you know, we did, I actually was featured on her, uh, a video podcast on her side. And, you know, we talked about this at the end and, you know, you made me realize, you gave me kind of a revelation that, you know, the, the codependency, I realized that I have had the same struggle. And I don't know if you realize that, but um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it, but I have been when I, you know, I hit my postpartum, like I had a postpartum depression, but then I hit kind of what I consider my tragic moment. And ultimately that was me being completely weak to the point that I didn't know how to take care of myself. And I didn't know how to have, as you said, my, my own needs met. I became vulnerable. That vulnerability made me basically become dependent on somebody else that I couldn't function without that somebody else. And mm-hmm. one day it was gone. And to me, that was the worst, worst thing I probably have gone through in my life, which is yeah. weird because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, people will be like, that's not so bad. And I've had this, I think I've raised this in a past podcast, but, you know, this happened around the time my friend's daughter died. Mm. Her 10 week old baby had SIDS and passed away. And like literally one of my closest friends at that point. And, you know, I'm struggling with like something that I'll never, I mean, like there's no comparison, but like, you know, obviously people look at like, there's still a lot of judgment (laughs) 
and it was really it was really very very difficult mm -hmm. and it still is that you know there's always that perspective that it's never is going to be as bad as that you know at mm -hmm. least from that perspective but you know it's how you internalize your own reality it's not about the severity of the reality some people are more capable of handling things than others and some people are really weak and i don't know i'm just i was just thinking out loud <laughs> but anyhow yeah i mean the code like codependency is definitely um it's de it definitely comes with uh a deficiency in maturity yeah. for whatever reason you know and i I definitely can look back on my life and I can see where I didn't get maybe my needs met when I was young. Um, and I lived in my head and I, you know, and I created a world for myself that was um, safe for me in my head until a certain age or until certain experiences triggered me to have to engage my mind, body, and soul in a new way. And I just didn't have the tools. Um, you know, I didn't have the tools. I, uh, you know, and if no, there's no blame. There's no one's fault per se, but I didn't have the tools. Um, I was a teenager and it just didn't fly anymore. You know, right. um, there were so many other things happening and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and so I developed a coping mechanism, um, with my eating disorder and it was very, I remember feeling really lucky at first. You know, I felt really like, I felt like a secret that was, that I had and was mine. And, um, I, you know, I was, had a way to like feel grounded that no one else had. And it felt very safe. Um, and, you know, as I grew, it grew with me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but I love Stranger Things because of that reason. Right. I feel like that that monster that kind of grows with will like i just felt like that was my eating disorder like the darkness and all of a sudden it takes over and it has to be exercised out of him because it the monster takes over the whole thing and that's kind of what happens is that first you think that you kind of control it and then it controls you and you're codependent on it um you are you're you're completely i mean for me i was completely codependent on that dynamic and you know but then you're forced into being an adult and you have to function and then it kind of seeps out in other areas so you know you see it in your relationships where you just didn't develop the eating disorder was there so you didn't develop the skills that you need to cope um i you don't you, i didn't get the experiences at like the at the appropriate ages that i needed to get feedback and grow and mature so when I, and that was my maturity deficiency. And so as I got older, I would project these kind of childlike needs onto people because I didn't grow myself in those areas. And that essentially is the definition of being codependent. And I think more, I, I forget, you know, I, I had to go easy on myself also because I realized that so many more people are codependent. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. No, you know? no, so, but you gave me the realization that I, you know, I couldn't, there was, I mean, I considered it always like a very vulnerability and a weakness for exploitation. But at the same time, it wasn't just about that. Obviously, there was, there's a weakness inside of me that put me in a position of like needing that type of 
guess, latching on because I wasn't able to do it sufficiently, take mm. care of myself. So it was, it was like a revelation afterwards. It took me some time and I'm like, wait a minute, do I need to Google the phrase? Because like, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, I have to figure this out. And it, it made a lot of sense. So I thank you for, for like, you know, turning the light on and, and like making me see the light there. You're welcome. I think it's really important for people to, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to talk about this stuff out loud because I think a lot of times also we can overlook it as something that is either, because in a lot of cultures, codependence is actually a a value. Um, And so I think it's a nuance, codependence and interdependence. And it requires, I think what we really all want is interdependence. But what a lot of cultures facilitate is codependence and a lot of that is because people don't want to feel that fear of 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 the separation because they think separation is severing and ultimately death but really with mindfulness you can learn that separation is actually spaciousness and with spaciousness comes all the good things that you can feel but there is some uncertainty but you can reframe your attitude towards uncertainty rather than and that's really what you have to change is your attitude not the circumstance and so that's what i've been doing for the last you know 15 the last like 15 20 years um and finally feel like i've you know gotten a good handle on it even though today i was telling you that when i launched my my program i was so nervous and a lot of my i I did notice a lot of my old kind of codependent uh you know, react, reactions came up within my heart. You know, I don't project them out as much anymore, but I felt all that kind of um, turmoil going on inside me. It doesn't really go away. I just, I just don't react anymore. I'm able to respond better. Um, usually I'd say like maybe 80% of the time. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I just want to add one extra point, you know, for, for me personally, like the codependency. And I think in general, if, if, if you say there's a lot of people that have it, I think there's also like, yeah, that, that interdependence is like the goal. And I, when I was seeing the psychiatrist for when I was like in my, in the deepest, darkest moments, it was because of this, you know, reliance and was hoping for something that was, I guess, interdependence you're you're able to function alone and with other people and you know there's freedom and and you feel good about it but you know if you're not there and you're in that area like there's a lot of I guess the possessiveness at least in my context you just it's very hard to make that separation you're afraid that that'll never there's never a way a safe and healthy way to come back and that that was me in in the worst of my my moments so Mm -hmm. it was difficult Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I mean I I completely relate and you know also have a lot of admiration and um reverence for you, you know, in your journey. Yeah. It was it was crazy, but I'm I'm like I mean, looking back, I just know and, and it's like you had said, you know, you still have sometimes you, you kind of revisit these moments you because you know, you, you can never like I guess when the the way you uh, described it with the stranger things, you can never completely exorcise the entire demon because like that's still who, that where you're defined. So like I still feel like there's vulnerability and weakness. It wasn't the first time that this happened to me. It happened to me in college as well, and yeah. I really I built a very very strong or so I thought invisible wall um, 
but I really I didn't realize it was slowly, slowly, I guess, uh, what is it? It was crumbling uh, as as I, you know, kind of endured this postpartum depression that I wasn't really fully aware of and, and completely cognizant of. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, it, it eventually you just got to hit your rock bottom to kind of figure out how to climb up back to the top. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it's, it's like an onion, you know, it continues to be layered. Um, yeah. you know, especially when you did, especially for me, I feel like I missed a lot of, a lot of, of milestones, um, in my, in my mid to late teens and early twenties that I feel like I was throwing myself into in my thirties, um, where a lot of my peers had these experiences in their twenties. Um, and so it was hard because on yeah. one hand I was this expert in some things and then I was a complete innocent and novice in other things, which was super hard to reconcile sometimes. So I think that there was like a rock bottom that I had with, with, with my intrapersonal relationship, which is the one that I have with myself. And I'd say that that rock bottom probably came in my twenties. And then I had an interpersonal rock bottom, which was the rock bottom I had once I realized how, um, how lacking I was in my skills with in, in intimate relationships with people. Right. Um, and it took me a long time. It took me a while to really land there. Um, and to, to say, okay, there are certain developmental slash, you know, skills you don't, you don't have. And a lot of that has to do with, um, a lot of that has to do with your codependence that you didn't develop your own sense of self in certain areas of your life for whatever reason you didn't, you don't actually, you know, you know yourself conceptually, but you don't know yourself and you don't have the applied, you don't, you know yourself, but you don't know how to be yourself. Right. Um, right. I think there are two different things. And so I had to learn how to be myself in my thirties, um, which, you know, has, which, you know, which has been really interesting. Um, and that, you know, that was, you know, then that's hard. That continues to be hard because honestly taking responsibility for your, you know, taking responsibility for being a sovereign person um, is, when you think about that is real, can be really existentially terrifying. <laughs> right. Yeah. I try not to think about that um, too much and just put one foot in front of the other, which is why self care is so important to me. So, um, and a lot of, you know, in these kind of actionable applied practices that I do um, that, that ground me in the world. Otherwise I can for sure live, not in the world <laughs> so super yeah. helpful yeah um i remember seeing recently uh a sub a reddit post where somebody had asked um i don't think i've hit the milestones that i was supposed to hit in my 20s is something wrong with me and everyone's like no everybody's different and it was like you know i started realizing and this is this is the type of like communities that i surround myself with like you know the ones that are helping people grow and giving them advice on how to become better versions of themselves so I guess that that would I'm, I'm I'm pivoting I'm actually trying to pivot into what we were you know talking about like self care because that for me is self care you know surrounding myself with the right kind of communities for mm. the things that I want to be and the person that I want to be it really really helps you have to kind of have some sort of belief there you can't just be I think when when I was when I've been in, in harder more difficult parts of my life 
you know, trying to uh, surround myself with that type of content and community was, has always been difficult because I haven't been able to relate. So you need to believe that you can, and then you will. So, um, you know, just going into that, you know, we talked, you, you kind of mentioned that you have like a ritual of like doing meditation, your two hour meditation, a mindfulness uh, stuff. Talk, tell me a little bit about like that. And, you know, you have this community you're creating right now. Give me a little bit of insight into like what you do for self-care what your daily regimen, weekly regimen, whatever it is. I know you also said, and I don't, I, I want to ask you this. I don't think you have it yet, but you, know, you said you wanted to get into running. Like how, what's the status of that? Like talk, talk to me. Get into, say that again? Running, running. Oh, running, right. No, right. So I was actually a runner when I was in high school. Um, probably not for the best of reasons, you know, it's for like, exercise and body image, but I loved running. And then I tore my ACL when I was uh, 19, which, you know, is interesting when, when I learned traditional Chinese medicine and I learned what the knee is, um, you know, it's all about forward, moving forward and all these different things. It was interesting that I tore my ACL. I also tore my left ACL, which is the feminine side, the more nurturing side. So it was really interesting when I started to study that. Um, but I tore my ACL and then stopped running. Um, mainly because I was told that I couldn't by people that I, that I value their opinion. They were like, oh, I guess you can't run anymore. And so I just believed it, which is another form of codependence. So when you just believe what other people tell you, um, and you kind of take it on as truth. And so I actually did until about uh, maybe until like a couple months before the pandemic, probably like January started. And I just said, you know, what? let me try running. And it doesn't have to be like, eight miles like I did in high school. It can just be like five minutes, you know, like a five minute jog and then a two minute walk. And it can just be really, really, really like slow and just feel into your body. Cause now I have a very strong practice of feeling into my body. And so I started to do it and I built up to like five miles now. And it's been amazing. Yeah, never listened to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've learned. Yeah, and adults are mostly children. That's what I also learned recently. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I too. It's really hard though to like you know. There's a, there's a part of me that doesn't want to accept that because then again I have to take full and complete radical responsibility for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I think right now we're, we're legally required to do that anyway. So it's like we kind of are stuck, unfortunately, for ourselves. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. feel like I'm growing up. It's just funny. We are, our, our, you know, a younger version of myself, I wouldn't realize, you know, our bodies are changing. Our minds are kind of like, I still want to, I don't know, throw spitballs at somebody. I don't even know. Right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I've become a little more empathetic, less, less bullying. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely resonate with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I still, so I have a daily, I have a daily yoga meditation practice that I do. Um, typically it's in the morning. Typically it takes me about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, but I'm not married to this like discipline of this amount of time. It's more just the, the discipline of connecting to my body and my breath. So sometimes I have that long. Other times I have half an hour. Sometimes I can meditate for half an hour. Other days it's for six minutes. Um, and so I think the win for me and what I think the biggest self-care 
the biggest self-care takeaway that I've that that I take away from this kind of practice is less about the self-care being the yoga meditation, but the fact that I can be flexible and that I'm able to be uh, adaptable with my practice and I'm not as rigid around these rules anymore. Because for me, that was, I think, the hardest part uh, when I was struggling the most with my eating disorder was that there were so many there was so much rigidity there was so much um control and the fact that i'm able to know that my need is to connect to my body and my breath i need to anchor myself and feel grounded in myself but i don't attach that to a certain length of time anymore is um is huge for me and when i find myself feeling attached I know that there's something misaligned in my life. I don't let that feeling take over. I don't let that feeling drive the car. And I think for me, that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest learning, the biggest growth, and how I know that I'm, that I feel like I have matured with integrity into the milestones of being an adult. So for me, that's when I teach self-care to people. I really try to teach them how to get there. Awesome. Is there, do you have any suggestions on like, you know, for someone who would want to get started kind of doing what you're doing, what they could potentially, I don't know, follow online, whether it's you, whether it's like YouTube videos or some sort of website that they could just learn. You mean learn about? Learn about like, you know, the types of yoga, the mindfulness, the, you know, strategies and practices that they can employ. Yeah. I mean, I, so you know, over the years, I started practicing vinyasa yoga, and then I practiced ashtanga yoga. Um, ashtanga yoga for me is great because it's very, very structured. Um, and it allows me to, it, it's a set sequence of postures. And so I can kind of either do do my whole sequence, or I can do parts of it. And it feels, I don't, it feels really great. So if you want to look up ashtanga yoga, um, and start with a Mysore style, um, a Mysore style teacher. It's very, it's similar to karate where you, where the postures build on itself. You kind of grow into more advanced postures. You don't, you don't do them out of nowhere. So your body is ready for it, your body and your mind. So it's a very integrative. Um, as far as meditation goes, I love mindfulness meditation and, um, the insight tradition, which is Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein. Uh, Tara Brock is huge for me. Um, and then I began studying yin yoga, which is uh, a more a yoga that's more um, influenced by Chinese medicine and um, the Taoist tradition, how my teacher Sarah teaches it. So I study with Sarah Powers. Um, and she is a mentor of mine, and I got trained to teach in yoga, and that actually is the primary yoga I teach now um, when I do teach yoga. And um, yeah, and so I, I feel lucky that I have a, a really vast toolkit of practices that I can dip into uh, whenever I, you know, whenever I need and to align with whatever energy I feel like I need to support myself with. So you know, sometimes when I'm more anxious, um, 
or I'm an, and tired, like that anxiety exhaustion. It's not great for me to run or do a or do a, a dynamic flow practice. And so yin yoga is much more long held, passive. It's a lot about getting the breath down into the lower belly to ground you. And so that can be a really great practice. And, you know, if I feel like I'm lethargic, uh, but kind of lazy, then I can do Ashtanga because I feel like I just need that little kind of burst of energy. And um, it's great. It feels really nice to, to have that, um, to have that, you know, that pool and that diversity of practices. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Uh, all right. So I have a question that I usually don't give anybody any type of teaser for. Although, <laughs> although if you've ever listened to my podcast, you typically know that it's going to be asked. If you okay. could give a younger version of Alana some advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her to trust herself more. Um, I would tell her to not take everything so seriously. And I would tell her that even though adults have more experience, doesn't mean they necessarily know everything. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I think that's yeah. really smart. A lot of people are, it's all about the external approval. And sometimes mm. it's about what you really internally want. And your gut is ne isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it might be the thing that saves you. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to check your gut and you have to know how to check it. You know, you need to check it against your own values, not someone else's. Otherwise, you're not going to know if your gut is right. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Where where can our people find you? Uh, so they can find me on Instagram at be well by AK. They can also find me on my website www.bewellbyak.com and they can find me on Facebook. Um, just my name, Alana Kessler. You can friend me. Happy to have more friends on Facebook. So um, find me there. Yeah, A L A N A. That's going to be clear yes. on that. Yes. Because there's lots of ways to spell that name. Cool. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so, I'm so happy that we were able to do this. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time, 